0: Firstly, I think it's a super cool thing and should be connected with positivity and it's uh, it is a great adventure to combine time face and no one should be uh, afraid of it and everyone should go for it. And use five different typefaces, I don't care. If, if they look interesting together, that's great. But I feel like uh, people who want to do the right thing, but then uh, pick two typefaces that are too close to each other, then you just see like, ah, this, this is not far away. It's a, to make a really good contrast. It's, uh, it's also not similar enough so that you don't notice it anymore. I think these are the problematic cases.
1: Hello and welcome typography enthusiasts, my name is Oliver Schoendorfer and I have an observation to share with you. I have the feeling that we as humans always need some sort of system to sort the complex and make it more bearable maybe. And this is also the same with typefaces, when there are so many options and fonts to choose from, you kind of need something to make up your mind. The thing is, with classic categorizations or classifications of typefaces, it's always a bit hard. They are rooted way back in history, they're a bit cumbersome and dusty, and they are little practical, as I can say from my practice as a designer. On the other hand, when there are categorizations like very broad, in a very broad sense, like on Google Fonts, where you have sans serif and display they still leave you with too many options to choose from, which is also a problem because it takes you forever to check all those typefaces. This is where the work of my guest today, Indra Kupferschmidt, comes into play. She's a professor on typography and she shows you a way how to structure and category typefaces in a different way. I'll call it the font matrix. And I've encountered it several times, but I never really took the time to fully understand it. Recently I dug into it very, very, very thoroughly because I prepared for a workshop and then It finally opened my eyes. It was like some kind of typographic revelation, even after 15 years of doing typography. It taught me how to see things differently. And to be honest, it's a complex thing, though. It's not that easy to understand. And I'll make another video that will cover it in more detail with some more examples. But it really pays off to think about it because it helps you to see typefaces differently but also to pair typefaces in a new way. Which also brings me to today's sponsor it's Pimp My Type! I'm currently preparing an online course about pairing typefaces like a pro. So many designers write to me that they struggle with combining typefaces. It takes them forever and they are never really satisfied with the results. If you feel the same, I prepared an online course about how you can be faster and more confident with this. I also cover the font matrix we discussed today in this course. This course is currently in preparation. You can find everything about it under pimpmytype.com/course and be notified once it launches. So if you're interested, I'd be happy to see you over there. But now back to Indra. It was a fun conversation and besides all the type classification stuff, Indra also shares how calligraphy taught her why letterforms change when using different writing tools, how her students don't really are intimidated by combining typefaces and why popular typefaces like San Francisco or Roboto or work that well and will stuck around for some years still. You can listen to this episode as a podcast as well. If you already do, go to pimpmytype.com talk02 to see some graphics that will explain the font matrix a bit better since this is very visual. And in the video I edited it so you can see it there as well. So, this was a lot of rambling today, wasn't it? <laughs> but without further ado, I'm happy to introduce you now to today's guest Indra Kupferschmidt. Hi Indra! Welcome to Pimp My Type! I'm so excited and I'm so happy that you're here on the show sharing your typographic knowledge with us. Before we dive into it, I just want to introduce you shortly. Uh, Indra is a professor at the University of Arts in Saar for typography. She's an author and I follow her and her work for 15 years, I guess, now. I'm excited that we finally have this opportunity to talk about some nerding typographic stuff today. Hi, Indra.
0: Hello. (laughs) Thanks for having me.
1: Sure. It's the weird situation where I talk in English, you talk in English, since we both could talk in German. And none of us (laughs)
0: speak English really well.
1: (laughs) Whatever. It's like, yeah... (laughs) Yeah, it's like an act or something, but um, to make our yeah niche topic more um, approachable for anybody on this planet. So just to get us started, what uh, would you say is the favorite typographic mistake or let's say one typographic mistake you see all the time that drives you crazy or would be easily fixed?
0: Oh yeah, I have those and especially one that Got larger and larger, larger in recent years, but it's specific to German users, which is really weird. So uh, talking about German mistakes in English uh, is just adding to the curiosity of the situation. But um, I think it started around like the uh, Creative Cloud subscription software updates, where I always see the uh, flipped apostrophes, so that they look like a, a six instead of a nine, because when a German types something and has not set the language to German, the machine or like the software thinks this is an opening English uh, single okay. quote and is always inserting a six. And yeah, most of the users, they they think they're doing something good because they don't use the straight apostrophe like the um,
1: Cl- um, uh, punk- primes. Yeah, prime, it's, yeah. No,
0: it's not really primes, but the straight uh, apostrophe so uh, this is something that drives me crazy, or which uh, which is also specific to Germans, is the use of um, the accent uh, accent aigu, is it? Or is it graf? Like the French accent yeah, yeah. instead of an apostrophe. Yeah, we see this all the time. Because yeah. uh, it's on the keyboard uh, above the numerals, I think eight or nine or something. Um, although the the correct uh, apostrophe is also on the keyboard, but uh, I don't know why this other one upstairs is so prominent that everyone is using the accent. And that's also really hard because you have to press it twice to get it. But yeah, that is really, it is something that could be so easily gotten right, but well, I, don't I don't know, know. maybe... Education is not um, really helpful here. Maybe it's just like a keyboard layout or I don't know what. Yeah. Computer algorithms at work here. We
1: suffer a lot as typographers.
0: (laughs) So. um, Well, but there are also bigger problems, of course, we have to tell us.
1: Sure, sure. So, um, but when it comes to learning about typography, a lot of uh, people subscribe to the YouTube channel and also to um, my content are learning about typography. So one question I always ask people here on the show is, why do you think it's beneficial to learn about typography at all?
0: Yeah, as I just said, it's uh, sometimes or... The older I get, the more I also realize that there are bigger fish to fry at some point, especially like in, in, in the world at large. But I feel like if you have consistent typography, it's just making text easier to read and easier to understand. And also, especially if someone doesn't really have a good grasp of the language or the topic, because then the structure of the text and the presentation is helping you greatly to uh, make sense of the structure of a text or that this is a headline now or this is just a quote and this is maybe a summary of something so they don't have to figure everything out themselves and of course in a novel or something you don't really need this because you just read it at once but especially in things that you are also maybe not read all of them uh, but have to pick out the, the things that you are looking for or that are really important here or that you should not miss, then it's really um, beneficial or actually crucial to have well-structured text. And that um, doesn't have to be pretty in the sense of you use the latest typeface that's uh, the best ever, but that you have like clear hierarchy and um, clear type so that it's easy to understand.
1: Mm-hmm. To make s- things understandable, and I guess that's something everybody should want when they are creating content or they are structuring or designing content as a web designer or an app designer, or yeah, not even not just print designers. Since I'm focused um, on digital typography a lot, and
0: and everyone is also seeing the differences. I would say. Yeah. That even if you're not a designer, you see the difference of, oh, yeah, here I can understand what is presented to me, maybe faster or more easily than this text that has no um, hierarchy or, say, was this not my emphasis? Yeah, Yeah, emphasis, like in bold or italic, so that makes it easier for you to differentiate between different meanings also. Yeah,
1: that's interesting. Um, Sure, everybody can judge if it's working even if they are not a typographer, More, not why it's working, maybe, but um, they or they they can. Everybody can see that it's a great point. It's not like something hidden.
0: I would say everyone can see when it's not working, yeah, but you don't point. really see yeah. it when it's working yeah. because then it's just yeah. it's just working. But maybe you find something where you think oh, I don't understand this contract at all, and it's not not even you, but it's just the presentation yeah. and maybe also the language, but presentation of the content has a big role here i think
1: yeah sure yeah i i think there was this quote you um said in a talk i, I binge watched some of your talks and stuff <laughs> to prepare for this awesome interview here <laughs> yeah, it's always weird when somebody says to somebody oh i binge watched your stuff when i'm getting these emails from youtube i always say oh cool <laughs> but it's yeah okay um and there you quoted i guess it was eric Spiekerman who said if it's important people will read it anyway so yeah, yeah. if if they have to they will so when it comes uh, to you i always connect you with the thing of classifying typefaces <laughs> and it, it yeah
0: i will probably not get rid of that
1: is this a problem to you
0: Not so much anymore, but uh, it's, um, well, I feel it's an overemphasis topic.
1: Okay. Yeah. That
0: uh, people think that this is very, very important and everyone is coming up with their own themes. And um, I feel like that's uh, it's maybe like also the more digital the environments get, the less crucial it is to have a really scientifically laid out scheme once and for all. And yeah, yeah of course, because once you wrote something about it that is published uh, in a way that a search engine can find it, then people get back to you and ask you about talking about classifications yeah. and doing some yeah. and like, you yeah. now. and I always think like, yeah, it's also not so important. Why is he interested in that now?
1: <laughs> okay. Interview is all fine
0: <laughs> <laughs> no. no, 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 That's maybe, maybe it is interesting. I mean, I, I find it, of course, interesting, um, Probably for different reasons than other people, but otherwise I would, yeah, not have done so much work in that. Trio. Yeah,
1: why? Why um, did you start with, or why did you dig into this topic so much?
0: Um, well, that is actually a long time ago, and it was probably because of, um, well, the the dean committee that was working in the 90s put out a new proposal for a redesign of the German. Dean classification in 1998 mm-hmm. and that was published in page magazine and other places and I found it so horrible and so unpractical and wrong that I like super naive and young not even finished studying wrote to the Dean uh, comedy because you saw like you can have like what's this heißt einspruch um, you can complain about it yeah, like make yeah. an official complaint and so I thought like, yeah, I have to do this. This is so nuts and shitty. I have to write like that. This is not how to do it. And this is my counter proposal. And I didn't know how a dean committee works, but um, then they have to invite everyone who files an com- official complaint. They have to invite for a meeting and then they are discussing the complaints. And so this is how I got into this committee that I'm basically still a member of really? <laughs> um, since the 90s. Um, but I think before that, that I even cared about um, sorting typefaces or differentiating typefaces was because I yeah, was just interested in typefaces mm-hmm. and mostly made a sport out of recognizing, recognizing typefaces yeah. on the street yeah. or something like on a poster and this. And then you have to remember what are the features that you should look for if you identify typeface so if you wasn't the internet and uh, mobile phones like Mm smartphones, so i walk by a poster and i have to remember oh this is um this typeface is looks this and this and then at home i would look it up in a catalog or something oh okay so maybe this is where you learn speed learn what parts uh, to pay attention to uh, attention to and then what also differentiates the typeface and yeah then you get into yeah how that changes the atmosphere and then I was hooked
1: Yeah that, that that's the that's a good uh, point changing the atmosphere what I really I also went through this process I got what was it schrift erkennen or something this book can yeah. yeah, recognizing typefaces in English. So um, something that I bought when I was uh, at design school and there it also uses this, I think, the Vox uh, by classification system or sort of very r- historic approach on this. And they also um, differentiate a lot between the serif typefaces and so on. And I, I always found it a bit cumbersome and also a bit... N- not very practical. So for my daily use as a as a designer, it felt very academic and historic, uh, or like historian or something like this, or we, 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 who, who was structuring stuff or arts or something. Um, but what what do you feel about this? Why do you think um, th- these classification systems are necessary at all? And um, why? Why do you think they don't work anymore?
0: Well, that one was also. I mean, this was the old Dean um, classification that is still in in yeah, place yeah. because the proposal from '98 uh, didn't go through. Oh, okay. Um, and <laughs> well, because of too many complaints, no, but. Um, uh, that was actually a little bit adapted already that if you remember there were subgroups for the sans serifs, for instance, yeah. proposed ah, or yeah. like at yeah. least displayed. Yeah. And that is not the case in the, the EtaPi um or Vox yeah, classification. Where it's just one yeah. big yeah. yeah. sans serif slabs. We're done. Yeah. And uh, they yeah, exactly. They added something for for all of the English listeners. Um, they added uh, a descriptor from the serif's category, like Renaissance uh, and character, sans serif with a with a Renaissance character or sans serif with a okay.
1: classicist yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: character, and yeah. that. So that was already um, a yeah. good uh, adoption. But that also brings us to the central question: is for who is this classification yeah. or this? sorting scheme supposed to be and I think this was a good um teaching tool for like Wilberg did this with students at his class uh, like in uh, Hans-Peter Wilberg was a professor in Mainz Mm -hmm. and he uh, this book was a project uh, originally from um uh, a graduate student from him or like as a was this as a final final project years ago and then the one that you Red was probably it, the adaption with two other students. Okay. So um, I think this way is a good way to teach type history and the, uh, also a little mm-hmm. bit connected to art history, of course, as the German dean classification is anyway, with the terms Renaissance, Classicism, yeah, and yeah. stuff like this. Um, and then you have maybe, as you also said, the need of a historian who wants to have a like, really... Linear, like from the historical perspective, then you maybe have the need of the type manufacturer who wants to um, sort their their product catalog, or previously the need of the printer who has to put it in, uh, in, uh, uh, on shelves and stuff, so it can only have one place. And where do I find my typeface in my print shop? Yeah. And then, of course, there's the need of the the type users who want to choose a typeface or use it or like find. A typeface in this whole um, collection of boxes and they all have a little bit of a different approach and um, yeah, basically you could also say some of them uh, put the stuff in the boxes and others want to get the stuff out of the boxes again and that is of course a little bit different um, how you do that but also then is this a beginning user yeah. or even not even a designer but just wants to pick a typeface for their wedding invitation Or is that a historian who wants to write about uh, different um, type trends in the 19th century, then you would have like a much finer grained sorting system, of course. Mm -hmm. So that is probably also why there cannot be one, because uh, all of the needs and and prerogatives are so different for all these groups, that um, if you just have one, it's just a big compromise that makes no one really happy and never really works. And... um, to answer the question why the current or the old models don't work anymore as uh, he also said that they're from the 1950s um basically before helvetica was uh, released on the market and that of as we know kicked off a huge trend in sans serif typefaces. and then later in the 60s and 70s there were also much more um slap serif type phases. so when these people um, decided on the sorting system in the fifties. They didn't really have the problem that the one big group for sans serif yeah. was too big because yeah. there weren't so many. So Futura could happily live next to Accidents grotesque because that's just once in once in a while you need a sans serif typeface. Yeah. And everything else was about serif and book typography yeah. and and stuff like this. So if you think about it this way, you cannot really blame them so much that they. Um, yeah invented this uh not really workable system back then but after that now we uh, issued so many more typefaces that are uh like grouped together in this one big bottle and it's also helpful to find different different directions among the sun seraphs and yeah. slap seraphs typefaces. because uh, and then you see that this has to be much more Finally
1: divided. Um, yeah, speaking of this division nowadays, and with all the digital possibilities we have, since we are designing for screens mostly, or I, I'm only designing for screens now. And um, when this, when it comes there, the big players of font catalogs like Google Fonts, Adobe Fonts, and uh, My Fonts or something like that, they all use, yeah, a, a very broad (laughs) uh, way of categorizing typefaces um, where they actually put, I don't even know, I think Slab Serif isn't even a category on Google Fonts, it's just serifs and um, everything else that doesn't belong anywhere is display. Let's throw it in there, it's, there. <laughs> it's the it's variant, variant here, yeah. <laughs> none of the above, whatever, so uh, no. throwing this, everything in there. But what, what do you think about these kind of grouping typefaces? The question is, w- since most laymen or people who are starting with design and web design, they, they have the problem of picking a typeface. This is the situation where they need to. And I like how you put this in your talks and in your, um, in your posts, where you say it's more about filtering rather than about classifying. Because you could apply a tag or an, um, yeah, an adjective across v- variant typefaces. It, o- it doesn't only have to live in one place. It can live in many places. And um, yeah, how do you feel about these approaches? Are they sufficient or are they good how they are? Do you think they're helpful for users?
0: Uh, that also totally depends uh, on the say, level of knowledge of the users. Uh, like you and me, we also know how to look at sans serifs like a pile of sans serifs and then pick out the differences and what we we would use in this case or in that case. But um, I mean, these broad uh, categories is uh, what is obviously obvious to see even without much knowledge. So someone like, um, I don't know, your neighbor could see like, oh, this is a serif typeface and this is a sans. And if they're coming with this level, there's almost nothing really what they would use, uh, like they they could think of typing in in a filtering system or what tags to click or something mm. like this. And I think Google of course has a different, um, audience than I would say, um, yeah, uh, any of the, the more sophisticated independent type publishers yeah. or something yeah. uh, that you have to discover yeah. or that make, um, also like work in a field of custom type or more professional settings. So, um, I don't know if you can come with a more sophisticated system at the beginning level users immediately. But as you said, that it's not uh, in a digital environment. You can use um, any kind of keywords, anything that helps a user find the typeface they want. Why should they not be allowed to apply this to to the system? I mean, that can also be misused a bit because uh, um, marketing gets into the game and you you put all kinds of keywords next to a typeface just so that it comes up in search and and cuts uh, gets in front of the eyes of the users potential users but um, I mean if uh, if certain typefaces are often used in wedding invitations uh, I cannot blame my fonts for applying the tag wedding to these kind of script typefaces because that is what your neighbor is maybe finding this typeface by but um, uh, as you also say in, in digital design, sometimes sans serif is basically the standard that everyone is looking for anyway. So the broad character uh, categories at least help them to just blend out all of the yeah. serifs and scripts. Yeah. So those get rid of them. But if you don't offer them sort of like a next level sorting, then they still end up with 5,000 options for sans serif mm-hmm. typefaces and. Yeah, do you scroll through alphabetically or then you end up with something like most popular or biggest seller and uh, sort of like uh, get the stuff that everyone else also uses or I mean it doesn't have to be stylistical or um, art historical aspects that you filter these typefaces for you you should at least say offer something um, like um, I'm need- I need a true italic or mm. I need small caps or I want five different weights or um, I need this and this open type feature. I need a Cyrillic character set, and these kind of filtering yeah. options come into yeah. play as well, of yeah. course. But that is not what people think of when they think classification. No. But uh, uh, fil- also, this is, uh, as you say, it's the wrong word for what we really need. And filtering can be more, I like about more than just the aesthetic aspects, mm. and also um, doesn't imply that there's a hierarchy, because classification and taxonomy implies. So there's, this is the main category and then there are mm-hmm. subcategories mm-hmm. and they are all logical and then you make a grid and then the grid has to line up. So the same subcategories are in this group. And that is, it is just such a straitjacket for this kind of these things that we want to mm-hmm. sort. So in, in something like a typology would be something that you pick a typical example and then Group similar things around this example. That is much closer to what we are dealing with with typefaces, and also why you have names like Garald or yeah. something because yeah. it's like Garamond yeah. and aldus are the the types. Like this is unfortunate that is now the same word as typeface. Yeah. Uh, like they are the the models, and then the group gets this name basically yeah. because that uh everything that behaves a little bit similar uh like garamond gets into the same kind it's on. a
1: garamond even though it's not an actual garamond <laughs> yeah it's like a Gar- yeah. yeah, but what's a garamond anyway so because
0: well that gets us into the actually the biggest problem is terminology yeah. and not really the groups that we're dealing with because yeah they they are they are very flexible and can be assembled on the fly Uh, according to keywords that you attach to them. But how do you call this box with a Garamond now? Because Garamond, you you cannot use that one. Also, that's not really understood by my neighbor here, but Garamond, why is this Garamond? It doesn't tell me anything about the typeface. So then like describing what you see there, a typeface with different stroke contrasts, like thick and thins, and they have, I don't know, more organic forms than others, and Different proportions, but that does, does never results in a catchy term that you can. I don't know. Yeah. Put in a label on a website where you just have a box of this size.
1: Yeah, sure. It's uh, that's that's the hard thing when it then comes to user interface design, also making these things operatable that you can click them and understand what they mean, of course. Yeah. Um, Which brings us a bit to your let's say classic filtering. Let's say filtering now from now on, filtering matrix or something you kind of developed back then or um, continue to develop for typefaces that um, I really, really appreciate because it made things easier for me, or at least it makes things easier um, to see or to distinguish or to add some adjectives to it. Maybe you could just briefly describe um, the, the kind of filtering ma- ma- metrics you came up with.
0: Um, That's a little hard uh, without visuals because that (laughs) that would (laughs) require almost no uh, explanations. But um, yeah, that is highly influenced um, from me learning to write with different calligraphic tools uh, when I learned um, like writing in the sense of calligraphic writing and type design in the Netherlands, not in The Hague at the school, but um, how Fred Smyers taught me this is highly influenced by Gerrit Nordseil, of course. And so if you learn to write with a broad nib pen and then try to write with a, a pointed nib uh, where you put pressure on the nib to uh, produce the thick strokes, then it was so clear that I, like, oh, this is where these forms come yeah. from. And uh, this is why these kind of letters look different with this vertical emphasis and the straight axis, like contrast axis, if you want to call it that way. And the other one is more diagonal and has a different um, contrast uh, that it produces. And um, also Gerrit Nortzoy, I didn't know this back then, wrote about these, um, these uh, well, this, this underlying principle in the 70s and 80s. Uh, but then I thought like, yeah, why are we not uh, picking up that idea of his and use this as the basis also to describe sans serif mm-hmm. and slab serif typefaces or any Latin we have to, of yeah. course, also say this is mostly connected to the Latin script, or maybe also Greek and Cyrillic yeah. work this way a little bit. Um, yeah, because that is also these principles can also be seen regardless of if it's uh, a sans serif typeface, if it has thick serifs or no serifs, or if it's thin or bold, and um, gets us a little bit out of this. Um, um, well, the tr- away from this track of history, so mm. that everything has to like. It, it, in part it also follows type history of course because you first had the broad nip pen and then later uh, the nip got narrower and then more flexible and stuff like this but um the the jump towards or like uh, make it open to sans serif and slap serif faces that came later is uh, probably the thing that uh, makes this most unique and then i also tried to um give these ideas different terminology than just uh, like the art history um terms like renaissance and and classicism so um try to describe what we're seeing like a more dynamic um form and 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 principle of contrast and then a more static or more rationalized uh principle in the other ones and i well not so not so much but i connected it also to the um Speedball nip, which produces no contrast. In German countries, it's usually also called Redesfeder, uh, which is more like a drawing tool and that can connect to the geometric typefaces like Futura. Mm. And then you have three basic principles that um, um, work differently and are also a little bit attached to the atmosphere that they're producing, Mm. um, coming from the uh, underlying... um, um principle like a little bit more strict and regular Mm. and stiff and the other more organic and open and maybe approachable
1: i'll add some images to that um in the in the (laughs) video then to make it a bit clearer but um when i discovered it here in this book or rediscovered it basically in this book by richard rata web typography uh, which i really appreciate Ah. um there it came up again i'm holding this in the camera so you can see it at least um there yeah. It says.
0: Cool. Yeah, re- I only. I think I only have the um, the ebook
1: version yeah. of. the I book. even have it. I even got it signed by Richard because he was in Vienna giving a talk at the um, very uh, cool. uh, Typographische Gesellschaft, and there I used this occasion, <laughs> like all the other fans. I guess no, nobody's famous as a typographer. <laughs> so, um, but what I found very interesting is that it. It kind of, I think it's a good system for people to start seeing things. And typography or design or something like this is more not just learning how to do it, but also m- more or less learning how to see it, like any art or craft or whatever. You, you start to shift your attention towards some features or some things. And what I like, you have three columns in there. And the one, as you already described, it was the dynamic column, where you would put a typeface like Garamond, for example. Then in the middle would be the column uh, that's more rational or static or whatever the terms there might be where you would put a typeface like Bodoni or Helvetica with a vertical stress and on the right side you had this very constructed geometrical column where you would put a a typeface like Futura for example. And what I found very interesting about this is the way of the different uh, layers or levels you described, which then said, okay, we have the skeleton, the shape of the letters, basically. Then we add some flesh on there, w- which is the contrast then. And the contrast will be different depending on the writing tools or, or whatever, if the, it's angled or if it's um, a straight line. And then we have the skin, which then might uh, might be some stylistic features or." or other stuff and I found this very helpful especially when it comes to combining typefaces because it makes it so much easier to look at the thing and um, I always get asked about this or this is the most requested topic on pinpoint type and stuff is how can I learn to better combine typefaces and you're a teacher on typography so in (laughs) your experience and seeing your students and other, other people in workshops maybe and stuff, what do you think is so challenging for these beginners or for, for designers um, at all?
0: I think this changed also a little bit that I don't get these questions at all anymore from my students because… Um, Maybe this is something that also previous textbooks always uh, preach that you should never combine more than three typefaces. Mm -hmm. You have to be careful how to combine typefaces. It is hard to combine typefaces, blah, blah, blah. And I think uh, everyone who, I don't know, grew up or uh, was educated 10, 20 years ago were like, oh God, I'm probably making this wrong. I, I better not combine anything or I just use like this this uh, matching serif uh, and sans here to be on the safe side. And just like my most recent students, they are like, whatever comes here and combine and um, sort of like they are naive and free from rules or were never really exposed to some, maybe, I don't know. Or it's also, of course, um, yeah, well, firstly, I think it's a super cool thing and should be connected with positivity. And it's, uh, it is a great adventure to combine typeface and no one should be uh, afraid of it. And everyone should go for it and use five different typefaces. I don't care. If, if they look interesting together, that's great. So I think if, if you approach it with the, um, the right um, daringness, I would say, I think almost nothing can really go wrong. But I feel like uh, people who want to do the right thing, but then uh, pick two typefaces that are too close to each other, then you just see like, ah, this, this is not far away. to to make a really good contrast. It's, uh, it's also not similar enough so that you don't notice it anymore. I think these are the problematic cases. So if you stick to this uh, sorting or filtering system, You could say everything in one principle like either all dynamic typefaces or all static typefaces work well together or you should just go for like diagonal in this uh in this uh matrix that you go for a big contrast Um, but that can also be helped by combining something that is light with something that is bold or large and small helps of course so if you have two typefaces that are actually a little bit close you can, of course, also, um, yeah, mask this a mm-hmm. little bit by having uh, big other contrasts in color, size, um, or weight, width, and all of these kind of things. Because it's not just like one style that you pick, but you also have a full gamut maybe of many different styles and a family that you could use. And yeah, I think maximum cont- uh, contrast or a lot of contrast between the, uh, the fonts that you use is always... Pretty foolproof.
1: Yeah, yeah. Making it as different as possible. And as you already mentioned, or not possible, but as you already mentioned, sufficiently different so that you see that there is a difference. Yeah, this is always a a thing I see where people, when they fall into the rabbit hole of typography and they start seeing these things and they, oh my God, I discovered that the serifs here are so thin. And then they use something like, I don't know, they combine it with a typeface. that is that is also a, what an ultralight or something for reading text or something. Because they yeah. discovered this and they think this makes a great match or whatever. And and eventually, when they overthink it or they only see these details, it's hard to to step back and to unsee it. And um, which 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 is like overthinking or overengineering something then.
0: Yeah, so the light typefaces look so great as a gray yeah, value, sure. that is of course also appealing to some graphic designers that they want to have like this homogenous um, shape of text. But that's of course not really what um, the eye likes the most. Mm. Uh, if you have like a light gray <laughs> that looks undisturbed and clean and and nice <laughs> as a graphic element doesn't really mean that it's nice to read. But then also you have so many other things to um, consider. Is this a screen that you're working for? Uh, will everyone have a high-resolution screen, or some yeah, have shitty yeah. monitors? Or what's the reading distance here? Can people change the size themselves? So is this a fixed size mm-hmm. that you're presenting them? Can they change the distance? Well, this is all. This all makes it almost so complicated. But that is also what makes something. Working well or not working well, and at first you don't even know that you have to um, consider all of this when you start out yeah. designing, and then you maybe just have um, intrinsic uh, a feeling for it or just luck that you you got it right because you also orient yourself at, on different at different work or something that works well, but uh, if you want to have like a really specific um, or you have a really specific problem or task to work with, then you should consider of course all of these things when picking your typeface and that is uh, nothing that is reflected in any of the classification schemes or terminology even or filtering systems and just comes with experience and that's also what you have to tell everyone at some point is this this is at first it's hard and it's getting easier and more exciting the more you work Mm -hmm. with this and the more you look at typefaces. And also like we are doing this, like I've studied design for five years to become a graphic designer. And it's of course, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's silly to think that you read an article somewhere and then pick everything else up by osmosis and, um, you will never <laughs> fail. You know, it's it's also they like a, a web designer maybe studied uh, um, computer science for five years. That's also why that person is much better at programming uh, than I am. And so um, I think we have to recognize that designing is also a profession that people study for for a long time. And then um, maybe are a little bit, mm, I don't want to say better, but... Um, Maybe some things come much easier for these people Mm -hmm. than someone who tries to teach everything themselves, like teach themselves all these things.
1: Yeah, uh, thanks for making all these points. I uh, really can connect with the thing that people should just practice it and go for it and try things out and don't be afraid of it. Because when I was in design school, of course, you always are afraid the typography police will show up and arrest you because... You commit a horrible yeah. <laughs> font-pairing or something and, of course, it's never going to happen but, yeah, it's, um, it's like then restricting yourself or, or when something is, it shouldn't take the joy out of the craft or of doing yeah. it because in the end, eventually, it's expressing content and finding the shape that represents visually what it's supposed to make or what it's supposed to mean. Um, when, but when it now comes to these genres or these the, these categories, I find it very interesting, especially now in, in, in screen design or user interface design, where if I'm, much, uh, I'm focused very much on user interface and app design, that this neo-grotesque style seemed to yeah be the dominant or seems to be the dominant style for yeah, quite some years now. Before that, it, it, it's not like that uh, neo-grotesque meaning Helvetica or uh, Roboto, Helvetica, um, Inter, San Francisco. San Francisco, they are all more or less these neo-grotesque styles. Before that, we at least had Lucida sense, which was on this more dynamic side then, for for macOS, um, but why do you think this style prevails so much? Is it superior? Is it um, why why all this?
0: No, nah, I think this is just uh, trends and tastes that change over time. I mean, also in uh, not on screen design, but also websites and other um, graphical products. You see that there's also a clear trend back to the goofy and and Garamonds and uh, the. 80s and 90s uh, coming back and the late 90s had all of these um, humanistic sans serifs mm-hmm. and then we had a phase of geometric and serifs and then we had the grotesque and at some point you go get to the humanist again and so I think this is just waves of popularity mm-hmm. that you also see in um, other fields of design of course although I think we are also in a very eclectic phase like a uh, late Fern des where everything goes and everyone gets out all of the display type that you see future fonts being mm, highly yeah. influential, that everyone is getting away with the crazy stuff and people are buying it. Yeah. Okay. I should more offer yeah. a design more crazy stuff too. And I think that is also something that, um, um, is influencing web design, but maybe not interfaces so much because at the end of the day, that has to work in mm. constrained, yeah. um, Boxes mm. or uh, little buttons, and also has to be dynamically translated. So a word is longer all of a sudden, or shorter, and whatnot. And so people use uh, symbols uh, and and everything else. But also, of course, what is very influential is uh, the boilerplates that they work with mm. and the libraries and everything. And if uh, like a library is um, using Roboto as a default Mm. and you don't really know what you're doing. So you just keep that default or so you want to imitate what is popular and that will slowly change, I think. And everyone is sick of Roboto in San Francisco and you see that Apple has changed uh, interface typefaces itself um, over the years. Mm. So maybe in 10 years, we are back at the humanists and the Lucidas, or you see that they are adding more typefaces uh like um what's the name uh new, new york, york yeah. maybe that also yeah. gets used in different places at some point but the thing is like with uh, roboto or san francisco it's sort of also like uh no one is hurt by this everyone likes it middle ground Mm. between neo-grotesque and uh, humanist. So it's not entirely Helvetica light that we had for uh, for her um, previously, or it's it's not entirely um, rationalized and static and has closed counters and uh, horizontal terminals, so it's hard to read. But it's also not, oh, my God, I'm hugging you and kissing you, humanistic. Uh, And I think this is sort of like... um, it's uh, it's the vanilla ice cream that uh, everyone likes and no one is offended by and that is why it's working so well because also as um, like as the basis for an app or interface design that you bring in your own direction it's, it's a good um, say foundation mm-hmm. that you can add on with more like add on more goofiness or bring mm-hmm. it uh, uh, into more traditional design but still keep um, this kind of well, it's more like the American Gothic direction, this uh, this group of sans serifs that almost works with everything mm. and with every clothes and every color mm. and that's probably what makes it so successful and uh, the reason why it sticks around for a while. Yeah. Still, I think it, it's it's gonna be around for a couple more years.
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah, these these things as you said, they optimized it for legibility since it could be more ideal, but they optimized it, they opened the counters, and um, they also made them more distinct. But why do you think is it so? Why do you think we we see so little serif typefaces on screen when it, when it comes there? Because we I'm not sure you uh, I think you tol- told that you cataloged thousands of fonts for font shop or something like this, <laughs> which I think would make you just go insane slowly. <laughs> but but um, this is a
0: good practice. I, I guess
1: yeah I guess but. Um, are there more serif or serif fonts actually out there?
0: Well, now it's definitely more sans okay. serifs that get published. I mean, historically, if you go back uh, in time yeah, to not yeah. just a uh, digital type, uh, I would say it was uh, serifs for a long time, but then you also got, at least in Germany, mm. you got lots of uh, black letter yeah, typefaces sure. in between yeah. them that are completely forgotten and irrelevant yeah, yeah. now. But that also shows you how, how quick it something can be in style or out of mm, style absolutely yeah. and out of use but um i think it's uh well it's maybe still the myth that um serif typefaces are not uh, readable enough on screen uh it's funny because on in print mm-hmm. we used to say that serif type is much more readable yeah. for books yeah. and everything else Um, But I think the thing that makes it problematic is just the stroke thickness or the stroke Mm -hmm. contrast. That if you have really thin parts and really thin thin serifs, then of course it depends on the size uh, and the screen quality if that is represented well with the pixels that you have. And of course there's uh, tricks like hinting Mm -hmm. and anti-aliasing or subpixel anti-aliasing that will improve um, the, the appearance of the letter forms. But that's also something that um, lots of people are complaining about, like with the rotational screens, they decided that subpixel rendering is shitty and does does look the same everywhere. So we switch this off. And that makes it, of course, much harder to represent yeah. a serif typeface in small sizes mm-hmm. in a good way um but if you remember um the beginning of the web font phase like 10 years ago and Typekit starting they had like a limited catalog of typefaces there and quite some were actually serif typefaces and they were hugely popular Mm -hmm. like the whole trend of having chaparral or ffts and all of these a little Mm -hmm. bit beefier serif Mm -hmm. typefaces Um, or Bookerly for the Kindle and all of this, uh, that also proves that it's uh, easy to read. But uh, that again is just like sort of a trend um, from the 2010s where you also had the scoriomorphic design (laughs) more and the warm colors. And then we got into this more clean technical and now it's pop color thing. You know, I think it's just fashion in graphic design that also Mm -hmm. gets typefaces in and out of use. And but I feel like the 80s and 90s with that, uh, these kind of uh, typefaces uh, will come back and we will see more serifs on the web again. Maybe not for user interface elements and menus, because people, this is the least uh, daring that a typeface choice can be, probably. But why not if it's not a high contrast serif? And if it's large, it can also be a high-contrast service yeah. because in a couple of years, everyone has a high-resolution screen yeah, anyway. Yeah, definitely.
1: And the, especially when it's on a phone where we can assume that it's a high-resolution screen nowadays, uh, looking on this also with the updating cycles, And what I also want... The problem... Yeah, yeah oh, sure, sorry. continue.
0: No, the problem is sometimes the typefaces also look too sharp yeah. on um, these screens, so mm. you should use a... Well, regular yeah. weight at least and not a and sometimes I get asked uh, what typeface did not um, profit from high resolution screens and it's clearly always the answer is times because that looks super shitty yeah. on high yeah. res and was designed for being more yeah. smudged in yeah. print yeah. or have yeah. a coarse display yeah. and bleeding
1: into the fibers of the paper and making it a bit thicker then so yeah sure That's, you always see that, uh, typefaces are not applied in the situation where they should have been. But again, this also always depends on it. Okay. So, (laughs) to, to wrap this up a bit, I, um, when I listened to the interview on type radio with you, which is I think almost 10 years ago now, 2013 or something. Oh, it was. that, that, too. Yes, yeah.
0: yeah, that, too. I think one is almost 20 years old and oh, one is almost 10 okay. years old. Yeah, so <laughs> they, <you know.
1: laughs> then they have to do another one. The other still doing it. Yeah, okay.
0: Um, really, I think they still do it, but then it takes a year or two until it gets published on, on the internet and, um. I don't know, maybe uh, victims of their own success that it's getting also maybe harder to find people they have not interviewed. But the 10 years later rule is actually a good idea to revisit some of the things uh, that you've said. Some studios uh, went bust uh, or much more people like or new people that uh, get interested, or like get interesting to interview. Mm-hmm.
1: Sure. So, and there you said your wish was that uh, you would see less photos and more type because um, you wanted to see typefaces that should be used more expressive. So before that, we talked about we can combine everything. Yeah. Did this wish come true after almost ten years?
0: No, we, we uh, see hero images everywhere and they are ruling. And uh, that is, if we're talking web design, as as you mentioned a couple of times, then the, the fonts are not the players there, unfortunately. Everyone is complaining about or talking about font sizes. It's not, not so much complaints anymore mm-hmm. and how to make this more rational, but no one's talking about the enormous amounts of scripts or uh, like... Uh, computer scripts or images that consume lots of mb not even K- kb and and uh, processor time and um, network mm. connection so i feel like the the web should should have could have profited of uh, um from a lot more typography and much less illustration and images yeah. but it's not what sells i i feel or uh, that's at least the people think that they need the big emotional photography mm-hmm. or the poppy illustration with the, the the flat drawing and that stuff to catch uh, um I don't want to say reader's eyes but consumer's eyes or the fleeting person looking at this but Mm. you could yeah you can have you can use type to great effect but i think that role was taken over by lettering yeah and we saw that there's a huge trend or was maybe it's not growing anymore but like um custom-made uh word Mm. marks or lettering for a phrase and something like this that works just like illustration and and can catch your eye and that is that's good enough for me so i'm i'm happy with letters uh, in any form
1: yeah that's great yeah i think so too so final question rapid round of questions free fonts or paid fonts
0: uh, i should pick yeah I would what would you pick what?
1: free fonts or paid fonts
0: oh or paid fonts because uh, that uh, that means that people are going into the business still
1: Good one, yeah. M dash or N dash?
0: N dash, much more versatile. You can use it for so many things.
1: <laughs> yeah, that,
0: don't buy the M dashes. Yeah,
1: that's because we are from the German <laughs> history of that form.
0: Well, it's also, it's just the Americans yeah, who like the M dashes. The British people use N dashes yeah. too.
1: Yeah, it's much more versatile. Good point. So, and now, Helvetica or Accidents grotesque?
0: That is hard. Uh, I was just explaining this yesterday. If you know so much about something, you cannot hate it anymore. So I would say Helvetica.
1: Yeah,
0: I know. No, I would say Haskell Contest. So. Yeah, <laughs> I
1: thought you would. <laughs> awesome. So Indra, where can people go to find out more about your work and your stuff?
0: Oh boy, uh, not my 20 year old website. Um,
1: it's not 20 years old, it's know. using Gimlet and that wasn't released 20 years ago. Oh well,
0: yeah, but the, the, <laughs> the rest of the site, that's true. But it's also basically because uh, web tap switched uh, um, off the fonts that I was loading, I think. Um. It used to be IBIS, IBIS, R-E. But Gimlet is a is a good one. one. That's true. Um, yeah, there's old stuff on my website. I think the most useful page is the educational discount and free trial page. <laughs> this is the, the most used one, definitely. But there are some um, timeless classics on classification systems on there. And I'm uh, supposed to publish many more articles on the front stand news site. Um, but they are not all ready yet. But yeah. Uh, expect more more there soon so this is the main outlets or is, of course is a good yeah. website but not uh, by me uh, just something that uh, groups together many interesting contributors yeah
1: great i link to the stuff in the show notes and in the video description of <laughs> course and yeah thank you so much for joining I had a great time
0: it was a pleasure super fun
1: Awesome, Indra, really enjoyed our conversation. So I'm curious now, what did you think about it? Do you want to share your feedback with me, then send it to oliver at pimpmytype.com or post it on the YouTube channel in the comments section. And I'm also very interested in your suggestions, who I should invite or what topics should I cover. If you're interested in the course that I mentioned, Go to PimpMyType.com course where you will find all the information how you can pair typefaces like a pro. And always happy if you hit that red button that says in terribly spaced all caps letters subscribe or subscribe to the podcast. And see you in the next one. Bye.
0: Super fun. And
1: see you in the next one. Bye.
0: Okay. Take care, Oliver. Yay. Ach so, stimmt. I was, of course, <laughs> switching this off here. No, don't. Uh,
1: we can schon wieder Deutsch. <laughs> <laughs>